Welcome to the Our Destiny Podcast. So we're looking today at Nehemiah. So if you can find him in your Bible, that would be great. Nehemiah. Nehemiah. Oh, just we'll start chapter one. We're going to read chapters one through to three in a few minutes. Um, doesn't matter. Um, but we'll we'll read round in a bit. But I just want to set the scene first. Um, put him in context, in history, and find out who he is. Um, if we don't know already. So I have to say, I think, um, personally, I think Nehemiah is one of the greatest leaders in the Bible. I think he was really clear um, on what he wanted to do, and he was really successful in achieving um, what he wanted to achieve. Um, and in terms of leadership level, I think, he, I think he managed to reach five, and certainly number four. And I actually think, um, I think he was an administrator, which is probably why I like him so much. Um, Because just the way he goes about his leadership and goes about the recording of his leadership, it's very clear to me that that he's administrator. And I think definitely I connect to that because that's who I am I think oh yeah you did that really good name I oh well done okay so so that's that's where I think about him um his name interestingly um his name means comfort of Yahweh and he was able to to bring to bring that to the people of Israel um so anyway, let me put him into, into historical context. Because um, sometimes like we, we take a book in the Bible and we read it and, and often we make the mistake of reading the book in isolation. Whereas Nehemiah is not in isolation. He's connected to other books in the Bible and he's contemporary of a number of people. Um, so let me put him into historical context for you. Um, As you probably know, Israel and Judah were divided after the reign of Solomon. Yeah. Um, Israel went up into the north and Judah um, was around in the south. Um, the capital city, Jerusalem, was the home of Judah. And repeatedly throughout the history of Judah and Israel, um, the people kept rebelling against God. There were some good kings, some bad kings, um, but overall they, ref- they basically refused to follow God. Um, and as a result of that, they, they just lost his partnership. So he no longer um, partnered with them to, to protect and guide them because um, they just wanted to do it their own way. And in around 722 B.C., the northern part, so Israel, um, came 
um, under the Assyrians. So they were defeated in, with, by the Assyrians. What happened with them was they, they were basically assimilated into the Assyrian culture, into the Assyrian nation, um, and the Jews and the Assyrians became Samaritans. So by the time Jesus was around on earth, there were the Samaritans who were, had Jewish descent, but they weren't thoroughbred, which is why the Jews, um, the priests and all that, they wouldn't have anything to do with Samaritans because they weren't, they weren't thoroughbred. They, they got mixed parentage and it all got slightly skewed. Um, didn't bother Jesus, of course, because if you remember the story of him sitting at the well with the woman who was a Samaritan, like he, he wasn't worried about their parentage or their heritage or anything like that. He never is. Okay, he's, he's into everyone. Um, but that's, that's where Samaritans come from. Don't know whether that interests you at all, but I like a little bit of history now and then. So, so that, that's what happened to the, the north. And then, then you've got the south, um, the Jews, although they weren't called Jews just yet. Um, and Judah was eventually defeated by the Babylonians in 586 BC. Um, it took longer because, because they kept having good kings who would bring about law and order and would bring about God, heart for God, and God would then partner with them and they'd rise back up and they'd be a strong nation for a while and then someone else would rebel. And, but eventually... Um, they rebelled against against God. So, hello. Just, I'll just turn this off for one second. So um, I was just saying I think he was one of the best leaders in, in the Bible. 
um, bit biased because I, I think he's an administrator and so am I. So I connect with his methods quite nicely. Um, but I was just putting him into context and I was just explaining about um, Israel and Judah and how um, Israel had been defeated by the Assyrians, taken off into captivity and was like they were assimilated into that nation and became the Samaritans. Um, and then Babylon then defeated um, Judah a couple of, uh, uh, well, 200 years or so later. Um, now, while all that was happening and Nebuchadnezzar was doing the threatening and, and all that, um, Jeremiah were, uh, was trying to help the people turn back to God and he could see what was about to happen. He could see that the, the king of the north was going to come and take over um, and, and he did his best to get the king to repent before God and they didn't listen. They threw him into a cesspit and they did some really horrible things which is why Jeremiah is known as the weeping prophet because he had a pretty horrible life actually. Um, but he, he prophesied that they would be taken into captivity but that they would be in captivity for 70 years and then God would restore them. Okay, so that, that was the prophecy of Jeremiah. Um, and so that, then, you know, the, you know, if you read, you've got, you know, Daniel was taken into captivity and, and um, a whole load of them, I can't remember all the names now, but it's a whole load of people taken into captivity. Ezra was one of them. Um, and, and there they are in Babylon. And then there was just a few left in Jerusalem to maintain the fields and the crops and everything. But they were the, mainly the poor people and um, they weren't doing very well. Jerusalem was destroyed. The temple was destroyed. The wall around Jerusalem was destroyed. And it looked like it was going to be completely impossible. Like nothing's going to happen. We're not going to get back to where we were. Um, and then, but then you have um, Ezekiel who has that dream of the... Um, the bones, you know, like where he sees the army um, rising up from the dead bones. You know, there's a song about it. You know, I can't remember exactly how the song goes. Um, so, so he's saying, look, we can, we can be restored, okay? It looks completely impossible. Totally dreadful situation that we find ourselves in. Um, but this nation can be restored. And so he... God shows him that through the Valley of the Dry Bones. And so he's prophesying that into the nation. And then you get the whole story of, of Esther, um, which is quite a random story um, where she, she's a Jew and she ends up in the palace as queen and then is like a really great advocate for the Jews. And, and during that time, the Jews are rescued within, you know, if you've not read the story of Esther, that's a great story as well. So that's all happening in the 70 years, okay? And I think Esther's towards the end of the 70 years, okay? So by now, um, 70 years is up, and Daniel is still, is still there. And after the 70 years, a guy called Ezra um, gains permission to return back to Jerusalem. And he's probably got favour because of Esther. By now, she will have been influencing what happens in the court of the king. And, and now um, Ezra is given permission to go back and rebuild the temple, which is really exciting. 
Um, but if you read the story in, in Ezra, the book of Ezra, if you read the story, there's a, there is a problem. Um, there's an opposition. And for a while, the rebuilding of the temple is halted. Right? So, so it doesn't seem to be happening very much. And this is where Daniel comes in again. So if you have ever read Daniel 9, Daniel 9 is in response to the fact that the temple isn't being built, but God has promised restoration. And so Daniel in his prayer closet starts to pray for restoration of Jerusalem. Ezra's probably already back, but there's a problem. It's not happening. Daniel's praying. And as a result of Daniel's prayers in chapter 9 of Daniel, God sends Haggai and Zechariah to Jerusalem and they begin to prophesy restoration. They begin to bring hope and, and enthusiasm back to the people of Israel um, in Jerusalem and they then get excited and build the temple and the temple is restored. Okay. So, so God, is, God is at work and the nation of of Judah, the nation of Israel is is being rebuilt and it's and it's going well. The only problem is, still though, they are vulnerable um, because the temple's built but the wall is not built, and so they keep getting raided um, and things. They're just not safe right now, and this is where Nehemiah comes in. So, so it's after after Ezra has built the temple. Uh, but he's seeing that the wall is, is still down and it's a problem. And so we find Nehemiah, who is apparently the grandson of King Jehoiakim, who was the guy who surrendered to Nebuchadnezzar 70 years earlier. Right. Um, he became king, but surrendered straight away, went to Babylon, and um, Nebuchadnezzar told Zedekiah to be the king of Judah. You've got to read the story, but, but that's, that's who he is. So, so he's got royalty in his blood, but he's obviously in captivity. Nebuchadnezzar, uh, Nehemiah um, ends up becoming the um, cupbearer to the king. And he's the cupbearer to King Artaxerxes Longuemon around 444 BC. And I've read, I've read two accounts. I've read one account that he's either, the king is either Esther's husband or Esther's stepson. I've read both and, and they don't agree quite on that. But certainly Esther's still, in the, still influencing the situation while Nehemiah is around. So he's either, she's either old or a bit younger. I don't, it, it, it's a bit confusing because no one quite knows. Um, but she's around. And this is where we pick it up in Nehemiah 1. And what I'd like to do is I'd like us to read chapters 1, 2 and 3. It might take a little while, but it would be really good just to get the story of, of how he rebuilds um, the walls. So if we can oop, not throw our Nehemiah. So... If we can kind of read round, if you want to read, if you don't want to read, that's fine. Um, but if I hold this out, and then hopefully... Can I talk everybody? Pardon? Yes. Can I 
terms of this track in the 20, 20s year while I was in the Citadel of Susa, Hanami, one of my brothers came from Suda with some other men and I questioned them about the Jewish spring in the month of Nisan, during the 20th year of King Reign, I was serving the king his wine. I had never before appeared sad in his presence, so the king asked me, why are you looking so sad? You don't look sick to me, you must be deeply troubled. Then I was terrified, but I replied, long live the king, how can I not be sad? For the city where my ancestors are buried is in ruins, and the gates have been destroyed by fire. The king asked, well how can I help you? With a prayer to the God of heaven, I replied, If it please the king, if you are pleased with me, your servant, send me to do this to be the city where my ancestors are buried. The king with the queen sitting beside him asked, How long will you be gone? When will you return? And so I told him how long I will be gone, and he pleased with me again. I also said to the king,
Very well, what trouble they are in. Jerusalem lies in ruins and its gates have been destroyed by fire. Let's rebuild the wall of Jerusalem and end this disgrace. Then I told them about how great the temple of God had been on me and about my concern. They replied at once, Yes, let's rebuild the wall, so they began with the word. But Sambalat, Tobiah, Nishim, and Arab had heard of our plan. They scoffed contemptuously. What are you doing? Are you rebelled against the king? They asked. I replied, God of heaven will help us succeed. Three his servants will start rebuilding his wall. You have no share, and you will write on the solid stone. I was going to say, you picked a hard chapter there. <laughs> Just skip the big days. Yeah. Yeah. They they <laughs>
Okay, I tell you what. Um, yeah, just let me just see where, where we. I'm going to start No, hang on, let, wait a second. I think. Okay, we'll stop there. We'll stop there. Basically, um, what he did was he he organised his people. <laughs> So really well. <laughs> that was a bad idea. I should have said one and two. Stop at three. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You deserve one after that. <laughs> So we can see that once Nehemiah got the news of the problem, it really stirred his heart, okay? He, he spent time weeping before God, um, repenting in the old-fashioned way, just calling on him, and God answered. Um, and the way that he answered was really quite interesting because he's in the king's presence um, and I love, I, I love that bit where he's in the king's presence and the king says to him, um, why are you sad? Because you weren't really meant to be sad in, in the king's presence. So you were supposed to hold that back. So he's in, he's in the king's presence and he's asked the question and he says that he just prayed and then answered. And I love that because... It tells me that you can pray real quick, real quiet, and God answers. Like, you don't have to go back into the prayer closet, get on your knees, because he didn't have time to do that. He was stood in front of the king, and the king says, what's the problem here? He prayed and then answered. And it's just like, I've done that so many times. You know, when, when I've come up, I've been working with someone, or, or counselling, or praying with someone, or, and they've... They've said something, and I'm like, I have absolutely no idea how to help you. I don't know what to say in this moment. I haven't got a clue. And it's like, God, help me. And I'm saying, Holy Spirit, in my mind, not aloud, but I'm praying. And suddenly I, I find wisdom coming out of my mouth that I know is not mine. Because it's beyond where I'm at. Yeah? And, and that's, that's the advantage that we have as people who know Jesus. In the whatever situation we're in, whether, you know, I mean, we're talking about leadership, so let's carry on with that line. Wherever we're leading, we're not leading on our own. Okay, we've got a God inside, behind, around, and next to, you know, he's surrounding us, and we, we can be in constant communication with him. And so like Nehemiah, it says, I prayed and then I answered. You come across a problem at work, that's a problem at home or in church or in or whatever. It's like, oh, and Peter says this now. Everyone likes wisdom? Okay. So that, that's my first point. This is what we're learning from Nehemiah. That's the first thing. Is, is that just that one-on-one relationship with God? Brilliant. And it sounds Okay. 
as a result of that conversation with the king and as a result of the favour that he has on his life, um, Nehemiah gets to return back to his ancestors' country. He was born in Babylon, but his roots were in Jerusalem. And he doesn't just get to return on his own as well. I love that. He gets forced and people to protect him. He gets to permission for the wood to be working. So now he's got all these people bringing really good quality wood so that he can build gates for the gates. And, and he's, he's got the backing of the Persia. So now he's back in Jerusalem. And this is another thing that I, I love about Nehemiah. Like I said, I think he was that much um, but, but he doesn't just dive in. He thinks about it and he comes up with a plan and a vision. I think probably next week we'll talk a little bit more detail about how do we draw up a plan? What, you know, what's a good way of of having a plan and what's a good way of passing on our plan to the people that we're leading. But, but we can see from Nehemiah that, that he spent a bit of time thinking about his plan. How are we going to do this? And he records how, you know, he goes out through in the night with just one or two people. It um, hasn't told anyone yet, but, but he's mulling it over. He's thinking it through. He's making a plan in his head. He's looking at the problem. How are we going to do this? And and then, then when he's got his plan fairly clear, I'm sure it changed as he went along, but he, once he knows what he's doing, he then sits down and shares his vision, shares the plan with, with the rest of the, the elders and the people and the officials um, who are going to help to put the plan into, play, into action. That's a, another good thing about Nehemiah is he gets the right people on side. So he's, he starts very quickly to build relationship with the right people. Remember week one when we talked about the glue, stage two of leadership, the glue, that, that just getting that relationship. He starts to build up the relationship with the people in, in the city. And he shares his plan. And it's just amazing how like they're, they're like, yeah, we're with you. So you can imagine, you know, like he's just so anointed by God. He's had this experience with God. He's had the favor of God on his life. And he's got the ability to be able to convey his vision. And the people get behind him really quite quickly. Not everybody, um, as we read, Sambalat um, and Tan- Tobiah, um, decide that they, they're not going to be I don't quite know why. Seems a bit really weird, but it's interesting that whatever we're doing, wherever in in life, there's always going to be someone who doesn't agree or tries to stop your plan or has something negative to say. There'll always be someone negative, you know, the person that says, "I can't, we can't do that because." And it's it's important that we don't focus on that kind of thing. We don't take on board. We listen to advice, yes, that's important. We listen to what people have got to say because we're going to, you know, honour them and respect them. But we don't have to take on board the negativity. We don't have to, you know, if God has given us a vision, if we've got a plan, if we know 
um, where we're heading, that's what counts. And that, you know, that's where we're going. I know when, when I very first um, decided, uh, when I was coming back to, to the UK, and I started to share my vision um, with people, there were a number of people who said, that's not going to work. You can't do that. It doesn't pay. You won't, you know, you, you, you won't have the money to do that. You'll, you'll have to go back. You'll have to have a job. You can't just, you know, I, and, and I remember feeling a little bit sort of like, hmm, maybe they're right. Maybe I do need to get, you know, go out there and get a job. Um, and it was, it was actually Arnold Mwangi, who um, is from Uganda, and he said completely the opposite. He sat me down one day and he's like, you can do this because I've done it. You know, like he, he didn't have a salary for eight years and he had a wife and children and, and God has provided miraculously for him. He's like, he's got to provide more for me than he'll have to provide for you because I've got a whole family. If he can do it for me, he can do it for you. And I'm like, oh, yes, finally, someone who, who agrees with me. <laughs> um, so, so don't focus on the negative things that people say. Get people around you who agree with you, but focus on what God has said. So that's what Nehemiah did. He got the people in. And some of, some of the, the, the opposition, if we carry on reading um, a little bit further on in chapter 4, 5, and 6, we'll see that Sambala actually starts to get aggressive and starts to attack the people to the point that each person is, is building and has got his sword with him, okay? Including Nehemiah, he's got his sword ready to, to ward off the attacks when they come. Um, but he goes around encouraging his people. And I think that's another important thing. When, when, when you're moving forward into the things that, that's happening, I mean, uh, we're talking Christian stuff here, but, but it can quite easily apply in anything that we do, okay? When we're moving forward, we've got God behind us, heaven is backing us. We need to, to help our team to have the courage to keep going. And so, so we need to be in the position where we are not failing in our heart, if that makes sense. So, so we need to keep our focus on God, keep our focus on the vision. And that's what Nehemiah did. He just kept going around the wall, encouraging the people to build and to fight. And because of him and his words of encouragement, the people were able to continue and, and actually, the wall was rebuilt in 52 days, despite the fact that Sambalot kept attacking and, and pulling things down. So, so it can be done when there's a good leader in place. And so, you know, just take hold of the way Nehemiah did things. So if you were to read the book, the whole of Nehemiah, you'd find that chapters 3 through to 6 is how he builds the wall. And then from chapter 7 onwards, um, he just begins to reorder the people. So, so first of all, he gets the wall sorted, gets them safe, but then he begins to just bring structure back into society, um, putting people back in their, their right jobs. He, he works out 
you know, he gets the Levites being Levites again. He gets the priests sorted. He gets the, you know, and, and he, so he brings the whole thing back into godly order. Um, and then in chapter 8 and 9, um, it's, it's really amazing because then he, he brings um, just like God's law back into the whole thing. And Ezra, there's an amazing account where, where he gets Ezra, um, the priest, he, and, and then he reads out the law and the people then repent and, and turn back to God and, and there's full restoration. Um, it's quite an amazing, amazing story. What I love, what I love about that, now I love about what Nehemiah did there, was that he didn't try and do it all himself. So this is another, if you're making points, this is another point to remember: that the Nehemiah wasn't the one that read out the law. He got the right person to do that. Okay, so so he didn't try and do everything. He recognised other people's callings and and gifts, and he released them into their gifts. And calling, so so he released Ezra to be who Ezra was, and that's important as well. You know, you look at your team, you look at the people around you, and then you raise them up to be who they 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 are, and into the gifts that they've got. In chapters ten to thirteen, we see. Um, how just it's just an account of where the different families um, ended up living and, and residing and um, and then he also makes sure that anybody who's not a proper Jew um, is not part of this whole thing anymore. So he he just roots out everything that isn't meant to be there. Obviously, this is Old Testament, so there are one two things that Nehemiah did that. We probably wouldn't do today, um, but but he he brought godly order back into into Jerusalem. Are you all with me? You're all following where we're we're heading down this road. Okay. Um, we also read um, that during this time that Nehemiah, um, as he's restoring back the people, so the walls were built and now he's bringing things back to order, he starts to identify the needs of the people as well. And so he, he, um, he makes sure that everybody's got what they need. And instead of, um, instead of taking from them his rightful duties as the leader, um, he, he doesn't. Okay, so, so he could take like taxes because he's now, he's now in charge, he's now the leader, but he doesn't actually take that. He lets them keep it because he knows that they need it in that moment and, and, and he just brings restoration back to the poor and, and the needs of the people. So there's just some more like little points that I've picked up. I'm just going to run through, run through some of them. Okay. He knew who his God was. And he knew he had the favour of God. Okay. 
So he had the courage to step out and make the request. Um, we know who our God is. And you know that the definition uh, you know, around grace is that it's favor. Yeah? So we're God's favor, fa- favored children, okay? And so therefore we've got the backing of heaven. Therefore we can have the courage to step out and, and make the difference like Nehemiah did. So know who you are. And, and if you haven't got it yet, get it. Okay, keep, keep just focusing on, on God the Father. Keep focusing on how much love that he's got for you. Keep focusing on his favor on your life. And know who you are. That, that's a big key. It's a big key to being a great leader. And remember that actually, courage isn't the absence of fear. Courage is, I still feel afraid, but I'm going to do it anyway. Yeah. Okay. Because you find, you know, in, in chapter 2, where 21, where he says, I was very much afraid. Okay, so, so Nehemiah even recorded, you know, he's writing the book. He, he didn't have to put that. He could have ignored that bit. And you know, I was this, like, really, I wasn't afraid. Fear can't touch me. No, he was honest. It's like, I was very much afraid, but I did it anyway. I spoke out anyway, because he knew who his God was. And he knew who he was, okay? And, and that's, that's important because there might be times when you do feel afraid. But courage is not the absence of fear. You know, when, when God said to Joshua, he said, be strong and of great courage, okay? He didn't say to him, okay. It, it was like, there's going to be times when fear is going to be at the door, but you don't, obviously, you don't partner with the fear, but it's going to be there. And you, you can push past that and be who God has created you to be and do what he's calling you to do. And Nehemiah recognized where his, where his power was coming from, where, where his success came from. Okay? He, he knew where to direct his worship and direct his praise. Um, you know, when things were going really well, he just says it's because the gracious hand of God was upon me. Okay? So, so remember who to worship. <laughs> who are we worshiping? Okay? It's good to be confident. It's good to know who you are. But actually... We are because of him, all right? And just, just remember that, you know, it, when we come at the end of the day, it's like, thanks, God. Thank you so much for success today. Thank you that when I was sat with that person and uh, I was in this complicated situation and I didn't know what to do and I cried out for wisdom and you gave me wisdom, thanks, God, because now that person's getting, getting freedom or that person's um, moving into the better way um, because... We did it together. We're partnering with you. The gracious hand of God was upon me. Understand that. 
and, and learn to experience that regularly. Okay? I've just got here, um, he was also tactful. When, when he first arrived in Jerusalem, he didn't jump in and, and, you know, I'm the boss. I've been sent here. I've been, listen to me. And like, he didn't, he was just very honoring to those that were already there. He, like I said, he did his plan. He got his, he did his survey, got his plan together. But, but he, he then waited until he was ready and he waited till he'd got that relationship before he sat down and began to share his vision okay and he did it tactfully there are a few things that he did that perhaps i wouldn't advise um for example uh when when there were people who disobeyed um and weren't willing to follow the the law again uh he ripped their beards out so I know uh, beards are quite popular at the moment, so it would be quite an easy thing to do because there's lots of beards to pull out. Uh, literally, yeah, he just whipped out the beards. Okay, so, um, so you know, like, Chris, if you don't do as you're told, <laughs> we can rip your beard. A bit like that, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Not very nice, huh? Um, so, so, yeah, just remember that <laughs> we are living in the days of grace and we don't need to do that. Um, You're safe, Chris. Not going to rip your beard out. <laughs> I wouldn't let throw the beard anywhere else like this. Just to Oh, beard, yeah. Gotta shave before I go home because of my beard. <laughs> Did mean tonight? Tonight. Or tomorrow morning. Nehemiah was a man of no compromise. He knew where he was going. He knew what his plan was, and he followed it completely. And was completely devoted to to the plan. You know, he when when they were building the wall, he built with them. He was there beside them with his sword. He fought alongside the guys, and and he was just passionate and devoted um, and he was a man of honor and like I said before he he raised up Ezra and and gave Ezra the book of the law to read out to the people he recognized other people's giftings and he didn't try and take the limelight that day I just think that's really quite significant because he was the one that that rebuilt the wall. He was really the one that motivated everyone. He was the great, you know, the man of the hero of the day. But he wasn't the one that got to address the people. It was Ezra. Did you have your hand up for a question? No, but it's not. Oh, right, sorry, I thought you were going. <laughs> I think that that's important as well because there will be occasions when we we are successful but someone else seems to get the glory mm. from it right and i think it's important that that we we're, we're okay with that and that's not always easy 
because we want, you know, if something happens and, and we know that we've had influence and we know that we've worked maybe in the background and, and we've caused the success. It's really important that we're okay with somebody else taking, taking the, the limelight. And I'm just throwing that out there because, because that will happen at some point. And, and it's what we do with that. And my suggestion is, did we talk about jealousy already? I think we have done. No. The, the best way to deal with jealousy is to, to pray your best prayers for the person that you're jealous of. Um, that's how I've, I've learned to deal with it. And I've got to say, I, I, it's there. It can be there. You know, like you, you, you look at someone and, and they, they, they're better at what you do or they're, they're in the limelight and you're not and you want to be there or, or whatever. The best way to deal with that, because what we don't want is carry jealousy in our heart because that is not going to help you. It's not going to help your team. It's not going to help the project. It's not going to help advancement. We need to deal with that. Okay, the best way to do that is to start to bless and pray for the person that you're jealous of and ask God to, to push them even further into what he's got for them. And as you're focusing on praying for them, you can then start to... It's, it actually works. It's quite interesting because when they get success, you, you can then realise that actually I'm part of that success because I prayed that in. You know what? You can kind of secretly share that success. Um, it works, that's worked for me. I don't know if anybody else has had any other um, ways of dealing with it, but for goodness sake, deal with it. Okay, don't let it. I mean, I loved your testimony last night. You know, just that when you know who you are, it, it's not, it doesn't become an issue really. You know, like the more you know, the more secure you can be in yourself, the less jealousy will be an issue. You know, I've tried to fix the jealousy because it felt so infrequent and I knew it's not what I didn't have. But I tried to fix the jealousy always. But it's basically the belief was that I was yeah. yeah. I think this is also something we can work with this jealousy thing. You know, also what you shared, this is definitely a good, a good um, tool to sure. work on, actually. But, but also maybe then also to let God go deeper in it and just say, actually, this is really something where I don't feel enough. And a bouquet of flowers looks so much better than a single flower on its own. You know, 12 roses looks better than one rose. You know, like it, it's, and that's the beauty of it, isn't it? It's, it's, I know we talked about it so, so often, but honor really is a key to, to success. Um, because we work together, we work better together as a team. And, and as lead, as leaders, if we can keep that on, perhaps our number one goal is we worked better together as a team, then we are really going to have far more success in whatever it is that we are aiming to do, whether it's building the walls of Jerusalem or 
um, leading an army into battle or running a cell group or, um, you know, creating a new drink that is going to rival Coca-Cola, wh whatever it is. <laughs> if we're working together as a team, we're going to have more success. And that will mean that occasionally you have to step back from the limelight and let others run with, with the, the forefront. I'm nodding, but it is about us as well. You know, like it, because God has chosen. I, I see where you're coming from. Yeah. It's not, it's about the whole thing. But what is so beautiful is that God has chosen to partner with us. Yeah. So it is about us. Yeah. Do, do you know what I mean? So, so like the God of the universe has chosen you because he's got this amazing plan that he wants to work with you with. Is that what, does that yeah, make sense? Yeah. So, 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 like, you are important. You are valuable. Yeah, I get that part. I, I, like, I mean, obviously, it's not everything just about me. Like, sometimes I can do all of that. Because yeah. people go into the world thinking it's all about them and their needs. And right. it's not. It's like, so you have to make sure you're working for God. And then, like, you have to stay with him. So, it's not just about them. Yeah, 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 it's, it's not about what I can do, yeah, it's about who God is in me and who I am and who we are together, yeah, but on that, on that note though, Nehemiah did know who he was and he was willing to step out in the authority that God had given him. Um, he didn't shy away. He didn't back down. He, you know, he took his time making his plan. But once he got his plan, he went in there and he took authority and he spoke to the people. And even when Tobiah and, and all them were coming against him, he did not back down because he knew who he was. He knew what God had called him to do and he was going to do it. He was a man of authority. And actually, God has given us authority to be who he's created us to be, okay? He works in partnership with us, and, and we're just free to be who he's created us to be. And, and within that, I'm going to say it because it's dropped into my head, he has given us the dominion that Adam had in the first place, Okay? We are people of authority. And I I just remembered a little little incident that happened a few, a few years ago now. Um, I was staying at Ruth's house, my friend's was house-sitting. It's when she lived in Bolton. Um, she was away for a week, so I went to just have a break because at the time I was living with a whole bunch of people and I needed a, some alone time, as you do occasionally, so I do. So I'm in the house and there's this like squeaking going on in the kitchen and I can hear this bird and where is that bird that's going on? And what happened is this tiny little bird had fallen down the wall trap and had got itself stuck behind the washing machine. 
and I could see it behind one side of the washing machine but couldn't get to it. And I, at the time I was reading a book and I can't remember who it was, Dutch Sheets I think. It was all about kingdom authority and it was talking about the authority that we have um, in the kingdom and dominion. And I'm like looking at this bird and suddenly I had the thought, I've got dominion over you. Right? Picture it now, I'm looking at this little bird. So I said to this bird, and I've got rubber gloves on because I know you're not supposed to touch birds because um, then the family don't want anything to do with them if you touch them. So, so I've got rubber gloves on. And I'm looking at the bird and I'm like, I've got dominion over you. I'm practicing half believing, half not at this point. Right. I look at it and say, right, you need to come out because I need to rescue you, but I can't get to you. It came. Right. This baby bird came to me. I picked it up and took it into the garden. Then I'm like, what do I do with it? So I put it down and then, and then I'm like, it's really vulnerable. So then I commanded its mother to come and get it. And she did. So this like, it was, I think it was a baby blackbird. So this mommy blackbird, who was brown. So you know, like <laughs> the brown blackbirds. And she comes and she gets the baby and she takes it to the bush and, and looks after it. And I'm like, I've got dominion. I don't know why I remembered that story. But, but we have dominion, okay, even over the animals. And over the authorities and principalities, okay, we can shift atmospheres. We were talking about that in Sydney, so it's only to, um, the team meeting that we had the other week. And, you know, like when, when you walk into a room, you carry the very presence of God with you. You know, you carry the favour of God that is on you. Okay, so, so you can shift the atmosphere that's in the room. So you might walk into a room and people are, um, are, are depressed or, you know, you can feel the heavy atmosphere. You don't have to come under that atmosphere. You can change the atmosphere when you know who you are, when you recognize the authority that you carry and, and the power that comes out of your mouth. It's amazing. Your life and death is in your tongue. It, I'm going way off track here, but that's okay. Life and death is in your tongue, and the authority that you have, you can change stuff. Again, just thinking, when, when I was in, in Uganda um, this last January, and this is, this is the authority that we have, okay. I... I don't know, over there, it, there's a lot of um, stuff going on in the spirit realm that we perhaps don't have much to do with um, in, in Europe, but, but there's demonic stuff that can take place. So there's witch doctors and there's all kinds going on. And then there's the church, and, and it's all, you know, like the, the spirit realm is very much more open and practiced and, and stuff. So I'm in the middle of nowhere in um, this particular place um, and what can happen is when the demonic kicks off it kicks off and they they deal with it quite differently over there to how we deal with it here and they can they, they let it get violent and, and crazy and but I mean people get delivered and people get set free but I just I could do it if I could. 
so so I'm I'm slowly teaching and training um, about honour and about love and, and things are uh, you know, and the way the way I've done that is in the, over the last four years I've taught them to start loving the people so so I I can't suddenly change the future you can't change the future what I have done is started to live so person gets little I would then go over and, and you know, just speak in a little because they would just or woman or whatever lying on the floor. Um, so I'm teaching them about love and honour and everything. Anyway, so that there are that they are starting to do that now. They copy me and now they they are loving and they're, they're you know bringing restoration and stuff to the people who've just been delivered and, and it, it it is improving. Anyway, that that's beside the point. So I'm I'm doing a teaching on Kingdom of God and Kingdom of God is basically and, and, um, and then at, at the end we come to a time of um, just his presence and, and I began to teach them about being still um, and they're not very good at being still um, they're really fantastic worshippers they're amazing intercessors and, and but just being still in the presence of God is quite fun to them so we're just talking about that, and, um, and the presence of God came into into the room. It's about three hundred there, and I'll sense His presence, and I'm like, okay, this is really good. This is teaching them how to just receive peace, how to receive love, how to just connect with Him personally. When this woman starts to come, and she starts rolling. Because like, in my head, I'm thinking the pastors are going to dive on top of her, going to start yelling at her, and they're going to lose the moment. And then I'm like, no, that's not going to happen now. It's doing stuff. So I just said, no, not now. And I just spoke peace over the whole congregation. And I, and I just began to command everyone to be connect. And you know, she stopped. And just stood there. Right, right, you just stay there. Now, in the next session, she got the word. Okay. But, but that wasn't going to happen now because that was going to disturb what I believe was doing. And it really excited me because I realised in that moment the authority that I had. And I'm learning, I'm growing in that, you know, growing in, in my understanding of the authority that I have. Previously, I might have panicked in that moment. But right then, I'm like, no, no, no. I've got the microphone. I'm the one in charge right now, and I've got heaven backing me, and you're not going to do that. And she stopped. Okay. That's the level of authority that we have. We are people of authority. Does that, does that make sense? And so, so regardless of where we find ourselves, you might not find yourself in Africa and faced with a demonic woman. That's, that, that might not happen. But, but you might be faced with someone who's full of fear. Or you might be faced with someone who, who whatever, you've still got authority to sit down and begin to just speak words of mind for that person and bring the presence of God and bring the peace of God. Whether it's in a church setting or a coffee shop or, you know, whether you end up, whatever it is that you end up doing in life, wherever you are, in a sports field or whatever it is, 
you've got authority. You are born leaders and you have you have the anointing of God that's in you. And the more we recognise that, the more we step into that, the more we actually live it. You know, like the more we, we actually get to experience the love and authority that we have. And, and like I started off this session by saying, we, we are just so privileged because we've You know, we, we know Jesus and, and we can be the best leaders on the planet because we're not doing it on our own. Any thoughts, questions? It's a great place to be. I think I love it. Love the people. Okay, I want you to adopt your holy position. just pray a minute because I just I just feel that you know like I just want to ask that God gives us greater revelation so Father thank you thank you so much that whatever we do wherever we go in life we partner with you you're partnering with us we don't get to do it by ourselves and that's just so cool <coughs> and I just thank you that like Nehemiah, had the gracious hand of God upon him, we do too, because your gracious hand is a promise. And we can affect change, we can bring restoration. We can cause people to step into, into their destiny. We, we can be instrumental in bringing about your kingdom wherever we are, whatever we do. So thank you, Father, for the authority that we have. Thank you, Father, that we carry it. And would you help us to increase in the knowledge of that? Would you help us to increase in our determination to step out in the authority that you've given us? And help us to practice dominion. Thank you that you've made us people of your kingdom. And I just ask it, Father, you bless everyone in this room with that knowledge. In your name, Jesus. Amen. Thank you for listening to the iDestiny podcast. For further information, check out www.idestiny.org.uk.